There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Let's pray again briefly. Lord, open our eyes to see the thing, the truth of the things that we have just read. We would understand the words of Christ and know that blessing of possessing eternal life in him. Come, Lord, and display your love and power and grace and mercy then this day. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.
how well do you understand the gospel? How well do you understand the love of God and draw delight in thinking upon the love of God and assurance of your salvation because you know God's love is upon you? There is an idea that is deeply rooted in all of us by nature. And it is the idea that we can somehow save ourselves from our own sinful state and condition. In my youth I was brought up, the opinion was, it was entirely up to you. You had the power to choose or to reject Jesus Christ. You had free will. That was what I was taught. But as the years have passed, I've realised, like many of you, that were it left to me in my free will, I would never have chosen to come to Christ. It's as simple as that. I had no power. I had no ability, let alone any desire to come to Christ. When a person becomes a Christian... It's because of a work of the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus here. Nicodemus, unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, you, know, you, you can't see, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. The wind blows where it will. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. It's, the, it's a work that's a mystery, but it is a work of God. It's crushing to our human pride to be told the idea of free will is a myth. But it is even more humbling to realise my salvation depends entirely upon God. And that is what we are looking at here this morning. My Bible teaches me, and you have the same Bible as I have, it is God who saves sinners it's his initiative we read at the end in chapter 3 verse 19 men love darkness rather than the light they won't come because of their love for the darkness but John 3 and verse 16 is not only one of the best known passages in scripture but it is an explanation of the way in which God saves sinners we're going to look at it briefly this morning it's God's gospel in miniature here the truth the fundamental truths of the gospel and the love of God are explained for us now in many of your Bibles it's in red print which indicates that it's thought to be the words of the Lord Jesus Christ well, we'll come to that in a moment. It may be Jesus' words, it may be John's words. It doesn't make a great deal of difference because it's part of Scripture. But what it teaches, that's the most important thing. It's plain. It's simple. A child can understand what is being said here. This verse, someone said, flows like milk and honey. It's able to make the sad happy. 
the dead alive and save sinners who believe the words with all their heart. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Three simple vital truths this morning. Firstly, God's love is the source of your salvation. That's the bottom line. That is the foundation. We will make no progress in our understanding of the gospel unless we begin here. God so loved the world. Now I say these may be the words of Jesus to Nicodemus. But quite possibly verses 15 to 21 are John's reflection on the words that have just preceded verses 15 to 21. When you read the original manuscripts, there are no quotation marks like we are familiar with in our Bibles. When we write, when someone says something, they put it in quotation marks. You don't get those things in the Greek manuscripts. So you have to fathom it out. But whether it's John's words or Jesus' words, at the end of the day, we're looking and hearing the inspired word of God and we are told about the love of God the Father. We are told the way in which it is expressed. Because the statement here, for God so loved the world, indicates that this is no ordinary love. This is an intense love. It exceeds the normal bounds of what we understand to be love. Our deepest experience of love is the love of a husband for his wife, the wife for the husband, the love of a father and mother for children, their own children. But this is something that is out of this world. This love originates in God, in heaven itself. It is a love, too, that, in, that reaches its intended purposes. It achieves those intended purposes. And that is the salvation of sinners. John often reflects in his gospel on love. It's a key word for him, especially in chapters 13 to 17. He talks about the love between the Father on the one hand and his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the other. He talks of the love between the Father and the Son and the disciples. We read about how the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. We read how the Lord Jesus Christ loves his disciples. And they love him. And they're called to love one another. But what is emphasized in chapter 3 and verse 16 here is the love of God for the world. That's the object of his love. The world. Nearly 30 times in John's gospel he uses that word world. That is the object of God's saving plan and purpose. No restrictions then as to race. No restrictions as to nation, age, sex. This is a love that is universal. 
Now, if it is John who is writing this, he will be writing this towards the middle, well, towards the, more towards the end of the first century. If he's reflecting upon what Jesus has been saying about the love of God and the, the, his death on the cross, which we'll come to in a moment, then he is aware that the gospel is not just restricted to the Jewish race. It has now gone to the Gentile nations, to the pagan world. It's now spread throughout the Roman Empire. It is a gospel for all nations, for all peoples. It is God's love for this world. The sublime truth is that God is love. And God loves this world. And he has so loved this world. It is a stupendous love. A love we cannot fathom. A love we cannot weigh. If anyone is saved from their sins, it's absolutely the case. The cause is the love of God. God the Father here in particular. Infinite love. Eternal love. It's a love which is according to his good pleasure. His determination to do good to this fallen human race, the world. That is the standout truth in this verse here. It's the love of God for the world. Now, John's contemporaries could well accept, well, Jesus, Jesus and, and God love, they, they love the Jewish race, but what they couldn't fathom was the Gentiles, the nations, were now included and embraced by the love of God. When Peter and Paul and others began to preach the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles, the Jews often rose up in fury and persecuted them, followed them halfway around the world to stop them from what they were doing. But what were these men doing? What were these apostles doing? They were merely proclaiming the love of God to the world. But you see, God's love is not so amazing simply because it's so big now, it's now so vast that it embraces the nations. It's not the quantity of the love that God displays. It's the quality of that love. It's a love for the world. The world is at enmity against God. God loves even those who are his enemies. The world is bad. The world is wicked. It's sinful. It's perishing. And the whole attitude and mentality of the world is something that Jesus and the apostles warn Christians don't get in love with the world. It's dangerous. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Christians are forbidden to love the world and everything that's in it. That's what John says in 1 John chapter 2. 
the world, then is this vast number in the human race where there is no fear of God. They don't trust him. They don't love him. They don't praise him. They don't thank him. And that's where we all were. Make no mistake. That's where we all were. We cannot fathom this love of God. It's quality. But don't misunderstand this love. It doesn't mean to say that God has forgotten about his justice and his righteousness. God doesn't turn a blind eye to our sin and just sort of, oh, well, I'll, I'll overlook that. I'll just, I'll just love. We will see in a moment that this was a costly love. Which is why he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world. He certainly did not abandon his justice and his righteousness. God is holy and sin is contrary to everything that God is in his holiness. We read in the Old Testament and it's still true in the New. The soul that sins, what? Shall die. That's the judgment of God. That's what we all deserve. And yet here is God saying and declaring to us. His great love for this world, despite the mess it's in, despite its wickedness. As I say, it is an unfathomable love because we can't measure it. We can't understand it. Why should God love that which is the complete opposite of who he is? But that is what we're declaring here. Verse 16 tells us, of this selfless, costly love of God that is set upon one thing, the salvation of sinners. That they not perish, but have eternal life. If you are a Christian here this morning, when you became a Christian, you were taken out of this world. But that's where you belonged. You were brought up in the world. You were part of the world. And if you have not become a Christian, you are still part of this world that is perishing. And I am declaring to you the love of God. For the world. For the likes of you and me. When you grasp hold of what the gospel says... The gospel begins with the love of God. God says in the Old Testament, and Jesus Christ expresses it, he takes no delight in the death of the wicked. But the wicked, that's the world. He takes no delight in the death and the perishing of sinners. Rather that you turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Peter says that God is patient. He is long-suffering. And he's been more long-suffering and patient with some of you than others. You went on a long time in your rebellion. You turned away again and again and again. But now you believe. Shake your head in disbelief. Yeah, you believe. Because God is patient. 
He's long-suffering. This gospel is to be received, to be believed. That's what I'm saying to you this morning. How well do you understand the gospel? Do you delight in and find assurance and comfort, peace and hope from this God who has set his love upon you? This love is real. It's real. And it's declared to you here and now in this gospel. For God so loved the world. But how has he displayed that love secondly? Well, God's love is displayed in his giving us his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I sometimes speak to people who are very angry with Christians and with the gospel. And they're angry because they say, well, look at all the sufferings in the human race. If there's a God of love, how does he allow all that to happen? I rarely answer that question because it's immediately. Rather, what I do is I point them to, let me tell you about the sufferings of someone else. The sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else suffered as he suffered. You question the love of God. Then go and look at Jesus Christ. Go and look at Jesus Christ. The gospel focuses upon the sufferings and the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. What in this passage is referred to as the lifting up of Jesus Christ. That's in the preceding verses to verse 16. As Moses, verse 14, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's a reference to his death on the cross in particular, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We're talking here about the only begotten Son of God, the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son. He did not spare him, the Apostle tells us, but gave him up freely for us all. We said earlier on that God never compromises his justice and puts aside justice and just promotes his love. That love is displayed in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Why? Because there on the cross, Jesus Christ died in the place of sinners. He bore the wrath of God. There is no removing of his justice. Justice has been done at the cross. Christ has paid the price by shedding his own blood that we may be set free from our sins, from our guilt, and from the condemnation that we deserve. That's why John the Baptist came and said to the disciples, Behold the Lamb of God, who does what? He takes away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. Jesus Christ 
The world in its enmity, the world in its wickedness, the world in its badness, you and me. Christ bore the penalty we deserve. God's love is displayed. He gave his son to remove that wrath and that condemnation. So you can't measure this love, can you? (laughs) You can't measure it. Christ in my place. Christ who loved us, who washed us from our sins in his own blood. Christ has paid the debt I owe, you owe. You can't pay it. God sent his son to pay it so that you might go free from your guilt and your penalty. He purchased your redemption on the cross. He redeemed us to God by his precious blood. And that wasn't just the Lord Jesus Christ's decision. He came willingly, he came obediently because his father had appointed him to die and to die in your place. Christ came because of the love of God. Christ came in order to bring you life, eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. This love is not some vague, undefined, sentimental feeling. It's a love that is full that is abundant, that is quite beyond our grasp, but it is true, it is real, it is the foundation of the gospel. There is no gospel apart from the love of God in Jesus Christ. God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. It is an everlasting love, that secures eternal life and the forgiveness of all our sins. So we preach Christ and him crucified. That's our gospel. But the source, the love of God the Father. You cannot be saved apart from Christ. You cannot be saved apart from the love of God. And this is what we're declaring. This is what the gospel declares. This is what this nation needs. This is what the world needs. Men and women all over this world rely upon their own good works. Their supposed goodness. But the moment you begin to do that, what do you do? You push aside the love of Christ and the love of God. You don't need Jesus Christ. If you can save yourself, why do you need Jesus? Why do you need his death on the cross? But you see, you're fighting against God. You're you're rejecting the love of God and you're rejecting the death of Jesus Christ, which is the fruit of his love. Are you wiser then than God? So someone here this morning who's saying, I don't need Jesus Christ. I don't want to have Jesus Christ. My friend, are, are you trying to set yourself up as being wiser then than God? That's the height of folly. 
And it's the height of unbelief. But you see, when we understand that the gospel is about the love of God and about the giving of God, the Father, of the Son, that we might have life, out goes boasting and human pride. There's no place. God saves sinners. Can you say from the bottom of your heart, it is God who has saved me. But let me focus, lastly, on the end to which God's love gave his son. God's love secures eternal life for all, all, every single person who believes on Jesus Christ. That's what it says. I can't make it any plainer than my text. Whoever... Whoever. Will you exclude yourself from that? If you're not a Christian. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What does that mean? What does it mean to believe in him? Very simple. It means to entrust yourself to him to put your faith in Jesus Christ asking him to save you saying I can't save myself you must save me save me that's the language of faith trusting believing in Christ it's repeated several times in this passage in case we miss it The one who believes has eternal life. Faith in Jesus Christ is the key to salvation. He must save you. And he has come as the result of the Father's love. There is only one thing that needs to be done so that you might be right with God. That you believe on his son, Jesus Christ. And my text says... You have eternal life. You've got it. It's yours. Eternal life. Given to you. Because you've put your trust in Jesus Christ. You come to Christ as a lost and guilty sinner. No matter that you're part of the world. All Your sins at once are forgiven the moment you trust in Christ. His death was sufficient and paid the penalty. And what is eternal life? It's knowing this God and knowing the love of this God and knowing that he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to save you from your sins. And you continue to trust in him. You continue to believe. You continue to exercise faith. It's a constant looking then unto Jesus Christ. Who is the victor over sin and over death. 
He's the giver of peace. He's the giver of righteousness and eternal life. And you have eternal life now. It's not just a reference to that heaven that one day will be ours. Eternal life in its fulfilment and consummation. It's eternal life now. Because if you know the love of God and you know that Christ has been given by that love of God the Father, if you put your faith in him, that's eternal life. That's the gospel. But there's another word in our text which is terrifying. Whoever believes in him should not perish. If these things of salvation in Christ pass you by, it's not a matter of indifference. You don't say to yourself, well, okay, for some people, they believe, I don't. End of story. No. We read in Luke chapter 6, there were two ways. Either you are saved or you perish. You perish. And there is no worse state to be in than to perish in your sins because you must face the judgment of God. And you're sitting here this morning and if you do not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the day will come when God will address you and say to you, but you heard about my love you heard about my love. You heard about the forgiveness of sins. You heard how I gave my son in order to die, that you might not perish, but you chose darkness rather than light. Your deeds were evil, and the most evil thing you can do is not to believe. You realize that? That's a wicked thing to do. This gospel is being openly declared to you. The love of God. The giving of his son, Jesus Christ. Not for me. I'm not believing. You have chosen then to die in your sins. Thank God that decision that you might make today, you're going to leave it and die... God is gracious, he's long-suffering, he's patient. But the time will come when he may withdraw that patience and that long-suffering. But now his arms are open to receive us. Why would you not believe upon Jesus Christ? Why refuse? Why go on in unbelief? Why will you not let yourself be saved by the love of God and the death of Christ? (laughs) What is this stubbornness? What is this pride? What is this unbelief? Oh, Spirit of God, banish it from every mind and heart here this morning that you might embrace Jesus Christ. Back in the days of Moses, there was a big problem. The people had rebelled. And God sent 
serpents among them, poisonous snakes, and they were dying left, right, and center. And Moses was told, make a bronze servant, lift it up. And whoever looks, even if they've been bitten, they will not die. And Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That those who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I said earlier on that God takes no pleasure in the condemnation of this world. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. That's why he has sent his son. That's the way he declares his love, that you might not perish. This is God's gospel in miniature. The love of God, the giving of his son Jesus Christ, the proclamation of eternal life. It's as simple as that. And those of you who have believed, I can see on your faces the smile because you know these things are true. You know these things are true. You founded your whole life upon these things. You've based your whole hope of salvation and eternal life upon Christ and his great love and the great love of God the Father. Here is life in all its abundance bestowed upon you. But there might be someone here this morning, I don't know. I don't know. But the devil may be trying to cast a spell on some of you. He will tell you, you are a sinner. And you are a bad sinner. You're condemned. You don't deserve any of this. What shall we say to that? Well, go back to the devil and say, yes, I am a sinner. That's right, I am a sinner. But Jesus Christ died for sinners. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that I would not perish, but have eternal life by believing upon Christ. Tell the devil, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's me. Let Satan drive you to Christ. <laughs> it's a strange thing to say. But let it drive you to Christ. Tell him Jesus Christ was given. Given. And he gave himself for my sins. If you are a Christian here this morning, we said at the beginning, this gospel makes the sad happy. Are you the happiest person in this world? <laughs> you ought to be. <laughs> and nothing that happens to you in this life can remove that happiness from you. Nothing can remove the love of God the Father. Nothing can remove the death of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins. You've been made alive. Once you were dead, once you were part of this world, you were perishing. Then God reached down to you and saved you, plucked you 
out of this world and saved you out of the kingdom of darkness and brought him into the kingdom of his dear son. That ought to make us humble and fill us with joy and peace in believing and fill our hearts with great assurance to know that God has loved me and to know that God has forgiven me my sins. Oh, what peace, what joy. How well do you understand the gospel? It all depends how well you understand the love of God and whether you believe that love and whether you have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour. He stands ready to save you. All you need do is come to him and you will be saved and you'll not perish. You will have eternal life.